You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1942nd edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 17th of August 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producers are Peter Rayson and Harvey Johnson and your readers are Jill and Nick Gain. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Shock at gym closure. Farmer angry and frustrated after raiders made off with 50 pigs. More police patrols in rural areas. Judy Ward murder. Family's 35-year fight to expose the truth. Customers at a Bury St Edmunds gym were left gobsmacked and in tears after the much-loved facility was shut permanently at short notice. Sports Direct Fitness... Barry St Edmunds informed gym goers on Tuesday afternoon that it was closing that day as the cost to maintain the facilities made it impossible for them to continue. The shock move came just months after a campaign by customers saw plans refuse to change the gym in Eastleigh Road on the Morton Hall estate to a retail facility. Numerous customers have spoken of their devastation at the loss of a community lifeline and the impact on the hairdressers, a beautician, personal instructors and swimming coaches based at the gym, as well as a barber's which opened in June. Vanessa Frary, who has used the gym for more than 20 years, said, We're all sitting here absolutely gobsmacked. A lot of us have been coming here since it was LA Fitness, and we can't believe we're being treated this way. People are in tears. People's livelihoods are here. It's just not on. You can't do this to people who've been supporting this gym for 20-odd years. We're all standing around in disbelief. Brody Nurse opened On Point Barbers at Sports Direct Fitness with Ollie Norman in June. He said they were called in by the area manager of Sports Direct to be told they had to leave the premises by 4pm on Friday. We've got three days, which is just ridiculous, he said. I feel devastated, to be honest. We've put £14,000 into getting this up and running. We're going to have to find somewhere temporary at the moment. Sue Brown of H2Go Swim has been running swimming lessons at the gym for 18 months, teaching about 120 children, including those with special needs. She said she was devastated and shocked for their swimmers and the self-employed teachers who have lost their jobs with no warning at all. It's a total community lifeline, she said. All we can hope is someone takes it over. Simon Harding of Bury St Edmunds has had a continuous membership at the gym for 15 years. It just seems so brutal to me to chuck the staff on the scrap heap, he said. Michael Crichton was left horrified by the announcement. He was a PE teacher for 23 years, senior advisor for PE, sport and physical activity for Suffolk County Council's Learning and Improvement Service for 15 years and was chairman of the Association for Physical Education. Mr Crichton, who was a board member for Active Suffolk and was a member of the gym for five years, said the move displayed a lack of knowledge regarding its benefits to health, well-being and the economy. He said it was a devastating blow for the community. 
Mr Crichton supported a campaign launched by gym member Carol Smithson with support from Melanie Soans to stop plans to convert the facility into retail. In January, West Suffolk Council unanimously refused the plans. He said if any potential retail conversion proposals went back to the authority and were approved, Morton Hall would have lost a facility that would go against the former St Edmundsbury Borough Council's Vision 2031 planning framework. Suffolk County Council Peter Thompson said he would like to see West Suffolk's planning department be robust in terms of any future plans for the building, so it remained as a leisure facility for the community. He felt the interests of Morton Hall for leisure facilities were not being served by the council. A council spokesperson said the authority and Suffolk County Council worked together to deliver Skyliner Sports Centre for Morton Hall, which had been very successful. They said the council continued to monitor leisure provision across West Suffolk and the permitted use of Sports Direct Fitness remained for leisure. Melanie Soane said, I'm really disappointed because I supported the gym before Christmas and fought to keep it open for all the members. There's over 3,000 members. Carol Smithson said she was shocked at the decision. Swimming teacher Lynn Wright, based at the gym since 1999, said the gym was a friendship hub and meeting point for many. Sports Direct Fitness was approached for comment. An angry pig farmer will be left to pick up the tab after thieves made off with 50 of his animals from a unit at Troston near Bersinamunds. It's the second time in about four years that Jonathan Green's outdoor pigs have been targeted in a raid. In the previous incident, around the same number of pigs were also stolen. Mr Green, whose business is called Piggy Green, keeps around 4,000 breeding sows across four sites in the Troston Hengrave area, with about 1,000 at the Troston Livermere site, which also includes finishing units. He thinks the thieves struck under cover of darkness sometime overnight on Saturday, August 5th, and the early hours of Sunday, August 6th, although police are looking at the whole weekend period. He expressed anger and frustration at his pigs being targeted for a second time. In a separate incident, thieves had also stolen equipment from his yard earlier this year, he said. The raiders made off with 50 of his newly weaned 20 kilogram gilts female pigs kept for breeding purposes. These were kept in an area with an outside run and a warm place to lie in and were worth a total of around £2,700 to £3,000. To take that number, thieves would have needed a trailer, he suspected. They took a risk as the site was near homes. I thought we were safe because it's right out in front of several houses, he said. Although part of the site is covered by CCTV, the open area with the pigs wasn't. Ensuring the pigs was too costly, he added. Someone backed up a trailer and loaded them straight to a trailer. We think it happened sometime Saturday night or Sunday morning. It had to be done in darkness. It was a bright, moonlit night that night, he said. There's so little you can do about it. It's a loss you can do without. There are houses in front of 50 to 100 yards away. How are they going to sell the pigs? I have got no idea, really, because they have got to show where they have come from on a licence. It's a fairly professional deed that's been done, two or three people at least. He added, it's a considerable amount of money. It's something I could do without. I'm just very angry that somebody could do it. 
The sea thieves would have to find a place to keep the pigs, and legal sales aren't possible without showing where they have come from, he pointed out. There are several people out there who know what's going on. You don't buy pigs today without movement orders and things like that. He added, these pigs are somewhere, and they've arrived somewhere, and all I'm saying is a lot more people know. Someone doesn't just suddenly gain 50 pigs. Sadly, having been targeted before, with batteries, diesel and equipment stolen, he wasn't surprised by the incident. He said, the previous pig theft was almost identical, he added. I'm not shocked because you hear about it happening elsewhere. I wasn't shocked, just annoyed. Shane Warger, who runs the pig operation that was targeted, said he felt gutted and disappointed at the theft. He was also worried about the welfare of the pigs that had been taken. He discovered the theft when he came in on the Monday morning. Although farm workers carry out welfare checks at the weekend, they don't do a count and hadn't spotted that one pen was short, he explained. To be honest, I was quite depressed, he said. Edward Vipond, farms manager at Troston Farms, which rents the land to Jonathan Green, said, It's just very concerning from the security perspective. Where are they going? Bringing potentially harmful diseases on farm, there are a whole list of things that concern me. Police patrols have been stepped up in rural areas of Suffolk in a bid to raise the force's presence and prevent criminal activity. Patrols are being increased for a short trial period in Southwold, Felixstowe, Woodbridge, Framingham, Halesworth and Lowestoft, as well as other rural areas. But Inspector Liz Casey insists the increased patrols are not in response to recent criminal activity, which has seen livestock and high-tech GPS systems targeted. We want to reassure the community that we care. We're visible and we're out there, so we'll have more vehicles patrolling and officers will be out there speaking to people, Inspector Casey said. The increase in patrols has been revealed after farm insurer NFU Mutual voiced concern at rural crime levels with thieves targeting high-tech farm equipment. But Suffolk Police says the increased patrols are not in response to a particular incident. Inspector Liz Casey said the main motivation behind the increase in patrols was to cast the net wide in both preventing criminal activity and responding to crime. These areas are so vast it can take 45 minutes to drive anywhere, said Inspector Casey. We want to reassure the community that we care, we're visible and we're out there. Quick to reassure the public that these patrols aren't a response to one particular incident, Inspector Casey said they were simply reaching out as far as they can. We get feelings from conversations with people in the community that they're frustrated with not being able to get in touch with Suffolk Police, she added. So we're trying to push the message to more people out there asking them to talk to us. A recent national study by farm insurers NFU Mutual revealed a growing rural crime wave with thieves targeting farm technology. One Debenham farmer warned that thieves had cut through 11 bolts to a secure store in order to access his global positioning system. However, once inside they couldn't find what they wanted to steal and left empty-handed. As we've just heard in our other headline story, Troston farmer Shane Warger wasn't as lucky, however, as 50 of his gilt pigs were stolen under the cover of darkness on Saturday, August the 5th. It was September 1988. Julie Ward had been enjoying a six-month overland jeep safari in Kenya 
when, just a day before she was due to return to her Broccoli home, she was reported as missing. It later transpired Julie, 28, had been murdered. But at the time, the facts were covered up. The case hit national and international headlines as Julie's father, John, a well-known hotelier who owned the former Butterfly Hotel in Berries and Edmonds, fought to discover what had happened to his daughter and expose those responsible. In June, John and his wife Jan were buried together after dying just days apart. But the family's mission to pick through the lies, cover-ups and obfuscations around Julie's murder has not died with her parents, as her brothers Bob and Tim have vowed to carry on. Within 12 hours of hearing Julie was missing, her businessman father, John Ward, was on a flight to Nairobi. By now, John was embarking on a quest to find Julie's killer, which would last 35 years and cost an estimated £2 million. Over that time, he visited Africa more than 200 times in an attempt to pick through layers of lies, cover-ups, corruption and false leads. John's investigation exposed obstruction and obfuscation by the Kenyan authorities, which he believed acted in collusion with the British Foreign Office, Scotland Yard and MI6. Until his death, John remained determined to uncover the truth, even though the man he believed was behind Julie's death was never brought to justice. But despite John's advancing years, he never stopped working on the case. For the past six years, his son Bob had been working on it alongside him, with help from John's other son, Tim. John had written a second book about the case and his experiences, which Bob has in an unedited manuscript form. Meanwhile, a documentary and drama series are in the pipeline with the family positive. Both will be commissioned and made, at which point they hope the book will be published. Ten years after Julie died, an exhibition of her photography was held in London and later turned into a book. It was the best thing to come out of the situation, according to Bob. Mum exploded with positivity. Suddenly there was something good that could come out of it, he said. The proceeds went to a game reserve in Kenya, a really fantastic organisation, through Born Free Foundation. When Bob contacted Born Free to let them know about Jan and John's passing, he was immediately contacted by the managing director, expressing their condolences. We have started raising money for Born Free again, and that is a beautiful positive, said Bob. Bob primarily started working with his dad to help him finish his second book, but soon found himself drawn in. My view was the legal challenges weren't really amounting to anything, so the best way of exposing the whole story would be to finish the book, said Bob. I started out helping him, but I got pulled in. Even though I knew what happened, when you read the ins and outs of it, it just gets more intriguing. Eventually I started working with him almost full time. We think we know what happened to Julie and we think we know who did it. So what we are left with is a book and documentary and film that are set to be made. A deal for the documentary and drama was signed not long before Dad died, with the family hopeful they will be commissioned by a major television network. A late granddad's quirky collection of 400 irons is set to fetch more than £10,000 at auction. Martin Matthews from Berries and Edmonds spent 35 years building his incredible array of historic irons from around the world. 
He proudly had his collection on display at home in Bury St Edmunds, which he shared with his wife Trudy. The father of two worked as a gas engineer for British Gas, which then became National Grid, for 41 years. He then retired and set up his own business, Dial M for Martin, which his daughter Alina Matthews said he loved. Alina added, he was extremely well known and loved within the town and was never happier than when he was with his family or with a captive audience or person who he could recount one of his many stories to or go through the amazing history of his fantastic iron collection with. Martin died in March this year, aged 65, and now his widow is selling the irons, which includes some dating back to the 19th century. They've been auctioned in multiples with a guide price of between £80 and £100, but could fetch far more. Trudy, a nurse and photographer, said she only discovered Martin's obsession with irons on their first date in 1997. She said, he duly invited me to dinner at his house, and when I got there, I was astonished to see a set of shelves six feet high by about three foot wide, full of antique and vintage laundry irons. Apparently, it all started in the late 1980s when an elderly lady gave him an old iron and suggested he used it as a doorstop. Trudy added, over the 26 years of our relationship and marriage, his collection grew to occupy a shelving unit that was seven feet high by 11 feet wide. An entire wall in our lounge was covered in more than 400 irons. We travelled extensively and he loved to find irons in countries we visited. On our first holiday together, he saw an old iron in a shop on the Greek island of Skiathos. It was huge and weighed over 10 pounds. He desperately wanted it, but was worried what customers might say at Gatwick Airport. It wasn't expensive, so I said, just buy it. Put it in your hand luggage, say nothing, and don't look suspicious when you walk through arrivals at Gatwick. So he did, and no one batted an eyelid. The irons will be sold along with the barrel washing machine and mangle at Hanso in Etwall, Derbyshire, between August the 17th and the 22nd. A scheme to make some of Bury St Edmunds paths safer is back on track after the pandemic, with eight streets to see repairs. At last month's Bury St Edmunds Town Council meeting, it was agreed that over £43,000 would be spent to fix pavements across the town. These are Abbott Road, Cadogan Road, Lower College Street, Whiting Street, Ridley Road, Oliver Road, Wesley Road and Hunter Road. The Authority's Pavements and Public Spaces Scheme was started in 2018 and works in partnership with Suffolk County Council. The project means the Town Council can step in when paths are becoming hazardous, but has not reached a dangerous enough level for Suffolk County Council to make repairs. The project had been put on hold due to the pandemic and the city, fi city fibre works in the town, but Councillor Diane Hind, Mayor of Berries and Edmonds, hopes the scheme will continue the good work. She said, it's a scheme we've had for the last five or so years. It got interrupted by COVID and then by City Fibre. I'm quite hopeful everything is back on track and see how it progresses. I think people have been pleased with it in the past when it's been done. Some of the problems the scheme has resolved include cracked pavements or protruding paths due to tree roots. Town councillors will note pavements which are deemed to be hazardous and a volunteer civil engineer will then prioritise areas based on severity. 
County Council contractors will carry out the works when there is time available, which could be months. A 10-year-old boy from Great Livermere has smashed the challenge of achieving 26 runs during his cricket matches this summer to raise money for a charity that has supported his mum. Kyson Broomfield, who plays for Nowton Cricket Club and Suffolk Under-10s, heard about MSUK's annual challenge, My MS Marathon, and jumped at the chance to take part. The fundraising event allows anyone to take part by designing their own challenge around the number 26, the number of miles there are in a conventional marathon. I chose to attempt 26 runs in total for my cricket matches in July because my mum has multiple sclerosis and I would like to help her and others by raising money for a charity that helps so many people, said Kyson. And the schoolboy smashed his target, achieving 40 runs in July. His mum, Sam Broomfield, was, was diagnosed with a lifelong condition in 2013 after experiencing symptoms for a couple of years. When my symptoms began, whenever I moved my neck, an electric shock feeling went down my spine and my knees came up, she said. It was like that feeling you get if you sit on your foot for too long. Now, Sam has a range of symptoms she contends with daily. MS is a bit like a lucky dip. I never know what I'm going to get each day. There can be numbness, chronic fatigue, forgetfulness, pins and needles and the dreaded drunken walk, she said. But Sam is incredibly proud of her son's efforts to raise money to help her and everyone else living with the condition, especially as he has had to fight battles in his own life. Kyson was born 10 weeks premature, weighing just £3.14 ounces in West Suffolk Hospital and we were told to prepare ourselves for the worst, as he was very poorly, she said. But he fought hard, and after a trip to Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, as well as Norfolk and Norwich Hospital, he came home seven weeks later. He then went on to get his black belt in Korean martial arts at the age of nine, became captain of the under-9s cricket team during his first season, and now he is captain of the under-11s, plays for the under-13s, and plays under-10s for Suffolk. A market stall in Berries and Edmonds was raided by authorities on Wednesday and a number of items of clothing, all believed to be fake, were seized. Suffolk Trading Standards officers, along with police colleagues, attended Berries and Edmonds Market on Wednesday, August 9th, where they detained several bags of clothes believed to be counterfeit. A spokesperson for Suffolk County Council Trading Standards said Trading Standards officers, assisted by police colleagues, attended Bray Snedman's Market on Wednesday 9th August and seized a quantity of clothing believed to be counterfeit from a trader. Brands included Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger and Lacoste. Investigations are continuing. Any members of the public who suspect counterfeit goods are being sold can report concerns to Trading Standards. Barry Snedman's Market takes place on Wednesdays and Saturdays every week. Held in Cornhill and the Butter Market, stalls sell everything from veg, meat and fish to pottery, plants and flowers. Suffolk Trading Standards is the enforcement service, service responsible for protecting consumers and traders from scams. For Reverend Dr Sarah Gull, becoming a priest has been a journey in both the physical and spiritual sense. The retired medical doctor, 67, is now an assistant curate at the thriving parish church of St Mary's in Bury St Edmunds, having been ordained at St Edmundsbury Cathedral last month. Even though her grandfather and great-grandfather were priests, 
She said it never occurred to her to become one, as back then it wasn't a path women could take. Her journey to priesthood is all the more interesting, as the Reverend Dr Gull, a mother of three, had largely lost her faith during her busy career. Having always enjoyed walking holidays, she and her husband, who lived in Bury, took part in a religious walk organised by the cathedral in 2016 that had the effect of breaking the ice, she said, and making it possible for her to go back to church. The Reverend Dr Gull, who became a deacon at St Mary's, her parish church, in 2022, said, I hadn't been to church for many, many years, but I started coming to the Holy Communion service at eight o'clock here whilst I was a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist at West Suffolk Hospital, and I found it very meaningful for ordering my life. I retired in 2018 with no particular intentions and went on a very long walk of around 450 kilometres on a Camino de Santiago pilgrimage in Spain with my husband. I came back with two intentions. One was to do something for our local environment, and I've continued to work with the Berry Water Meadows Group as part of their scything and ditch clearing team. And the other thing was to develop my artwork. I joined the Guild of Weavers, Spinners and Dyers and was thinking about how to link spirituality with art when I started to see a spiritual director, which is a system that is available to anybody through the Church of England. He encouraged me in biblical study and after a while suggested that I consider becoming a priest. She said she realised there were some similarities between priesthood and medical practice and that it involves people at times of vulnerability and just like in medicine, it extends your outlook and ability to talk with anybody. The Reverend Dr Gull, whose roles include looking after the garden at St Mary's and being a volunteer chaplain for St Nicholas Hospice, added, I do like the idea of a particular community with all their different attributes and strengths and weaknesses and weaving that together constructively. The Reverend, who has recently returned from a diocese link visit to Kagira in Tanzania with Bishop Martin Seeley, said the various threads of her own life had come together through the process of becoming a priest. There is a cafe at St Mary's Church in Honey Hill on Wednesday lunchtimes that is open to everyone. Innovative carers who saw a need for specialist music therapy sessions for adults and learning difficulties in post-pandemic various Nedmonds have seen their group flourish. Karen Naylor and Laura Sturgeon launched Good Vibes, Music, Fun and Friendship in October 2021, a time when many regular groups had closed down due to COVID. The pair, who had experience of running groups for adults with learning difficulties, realised there was a need for somewhere for people to go, particularly during the winter months. They enlisted music therapist Nicola Rowe and pianist Darnell O'Brien, along with valued volunteers. The resulting Good Vibes group now meets at Southgate Community Centre every Friday. Nicola said the sessions have been taking place since October 2021 with very positive results. These sessions can benefit a wide range of adults who have different needs, including learning disabilities, autism and visual and hearing impairment. Through shared music making, music therapy can help an adult to increase their confidence and self-esteem, attention and listening skills, hand-eye coordination, taking turns skills, self-expression and communication skills and awareness of self and others. As a music therapist, 
I help to build a therapeutic musical relationship with adults attending the group using improvised music. Clients are able to play a variety of percussion instruments, guitar and piano. Describing good vibes as friendly and fun, Karen and Laura ensure everyone who attends the group feels welcome and valued. They say it is a safe space where clients can build friendships and enjoy different aspects of music, while those who need one-to-one support are able to bring their support staff with them free of charge. There are 10 spaces for the morning music therapy sessions from 10am to noon, which have helped group members grow their knowledge and understanding of music. The afternoon sessions from 12.45 to 2pm consist of learning songs and singing, but can also include karaoke, YouTube and requests. The songs learned in the afternoon sessions are performed in two concerts each year, at summer and Christmas, with family friends invited to watch. A charity is offering free school uniforms to families who need support as the cost of living crisis continues to affect many households. The Salvation Army Church and Community Centre in Sudbury, Suffolk, has set up a uniform swap shop for the second time. The charity is giving out good quality second-hand garments, mainly for primary-aged children, as well as accepting donations of unwanted uniforms. The event, located at One Station Road, took place on the 11th of August between 9.30 and 12 noon. The initiative is an absolute blessing, said a user of the swap shop. The Uniform Bank offers items from shirts and jumpers to summer dresses and PE kits in a wide range of sizes. On the first day of the event on Thursday, about 100 families attended, with a queue forming before the shop opened its doors. Anita, a mother who attended the event for its second year, said the brilliant sustainable initiative is an absolute blessing for families who need extra support. Patsy Atwood, church leader of the Salvation Army in Sudbury, said, Getting ready for the new school year is stressful enough as it is. Having a free uniform that fits properly is one less thing to worry about. Parents are very concerned about the high costs of school uniforms, so easing things in this way can help them to overcome back-to-school costs. It is a real privilege to be able to serve the community in this way. Through the year, the charity also supports adults and children who need clothing with referrals from the food bank. What does a seafood restaurant in Southwold have in common with a bakery in Berries and Edmonds? They are both finalists in the Food Awards for 2023. Eight places to eat in Suffolk have been named as finalists across many categories in this year's Food Awards for England. There are two finalists in Berries and Edmonds. The Friendly Loaf is a finalist for Best Artisan Bakery in England, whilst Gastronomy is a finalist for Best World Cuisine South. Soul Bay Fish Company in Southwold is a finalist for Best Seafood Establishment, South. Four cafes in Ipswich are finalists for Bistro Cafe of the Year, East. They are Bistro on the Quay, Bis Cafe O Portuguese, Cafe at the Dance House and the Waterfront Bistro, Ipswich. Also in Ipswich, the eatery at Salthouse Harbour Hotel is a finalist for Restaurant of the Year, East. The winners for each category are voted for by the public, with voting now live on the Food Awards England Facebook page.
The award ceremony will take place in Birmingham later this year. A man who sent hoax packages to a range of public places has been convicted of a number of terrorism offences. Gary Preston, 63 from Haverhill, admitted 21 charges relating to suspicious packages sent between September and October 2013. He appeared in Woolwich Crown Court today, August the 11th, where he pleaded guilty to all offences. Mr Preston sent packages containing suspicious white powder to a range of schools, shopping centres and other businesses. Some of the packages included warning notes telling their reader to run or hold their breath. The substance was later found to be talcum powder. Investigators were unable to establish Mr Preston as the main suspect until he was arrested for a separate offence in July 2020. His DNA and fingerprints matched that found on the packages sent. He claimed that he did not recall the incidents but was charged with 21 counts of sending a substance and note with the intention of inducing a belief that is likely to be harmful or poisonous. He will be sentenced on November the 10th this year. For most people, contemplating a trip from Italy to Berries and Edmonds, flying would be the most obvious means of travel. But 20-year-old Claudio Marchiassi has decided to undertake the 1,487-kilometre journey on two wheels instead. The University of East Anglia economic student, who is travelling back to England to start his second year at the Norwich University, decided to complete the cycle to raise funds for charity and end the challenge of at his grandparents' Pat and Bernard Stotton's Berry home. Claudio, whose mother Emma Stotton was from Berry, initially hoped to raise £1,487 for AIRC, the Italian Foundation for Cancer Research but smashed the target within 72 hours, so decided to aim for £2,900 instead. He will start his ride on August the 21st from his home north of Milan and follow an 18-day route through Switzerland, France, Luxembourg and Belgium. The owners of a popular fashion retailer have decided to sell the business after 34 years. Jeremy and Joanna Clayton who run the award-winning Javelin with shops in Bury St Edmunds and Sudbury, made the announcement to customers on Sunday afternoon. They have found a buyer to be revealed at a later date who is passionate about the business and shares the firm's values. A change of ownership sale which started on Tuesday had an overwhelming response with a long queue halfway up Abbeygate Street in Bury prior to opening at 9.30am. The couple said... Javelin has been our absolute passion over the last 30 or so years. The fashion industry has been a very dynamic and exciting place to be, full of fascinating people, great locations and amazing products. We have met so many wonderful customers and made so many friends along the way, all the while supported by a very loyal team, some who have been with us from day one. The decision to sell has not been easy, but we felt the time was right to let someone else take the reins and we are confident we have found the right person. We feel that we are leaving Javelin in the best shape ever to navigate the future with a new owner who is also passionate about the business and who shares our values. The Clayton family has traded in the area since 1954 when Robert Clayton Sr. opened Clayton's in the Traverse, Berries and Edmonds, selling sports items and guns in the store formerly known as Scotcher & Son, and then Hodgson's. 
1968, Robert Clayton Jr. opened Sudbury Sports in Sudbury and took the reins at the Traverse Store in 1976. Jeremy Clayton joined the family business in Berry in 1984. In 1989, the name was changed to Javelin. The store in the Traverse closed and a brand new store was opened at 37 Abbeygate Street by Fatima Whitbread. Following the launch of the change of ownership sale, Jeremy added, We saw faces old and new, including some who have shopped with us since we started in 1989. Overall, it was mixed emotions all round, particularly for Joanna and me, because Javelin has been our life's work. In his column for the Berry Free Press, Ewan Cameron, Chief Executive, West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, writes... While we are well away into the summer, and as I'm sure you all know, it has been a very wet one thus far, despite the bleak weather, there have been exciting developments here at West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust. In early July, we received confirmation from West Suffolk Council that our plans to build a £15 million community diagnostic centre at Newmarket Community Hospital can go ahead. This represents a sizeable commitment to developing the sites outside of Bury St Edmunds, bringing more and improved services to those living across West Suffolk. This new facility will provide our communities with quicker access to approximately 100,000 tests a year, which include magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, X-ray, ultrasound, cardiology, lung functions and blood tests. This will greatly expand our diagnostic capacity, meaning that we can reduce waiting times and speed up the time between having a test, getting your results, and if required, beginning treatment. By the time you read this, demolition work will have already begun, clearing the existing structure to make way for the new facility, which we expect to take around eight weeks. Shortly after this, we will begin constructing with the ambition of having this facility open to patients by the start of summer 2024. A Suffolk Library Chief is warning that individuals will be banned if necessary following incidents of antisocial behaviour. The warning comes following a series of incidents at Newmarket Library in mid-July in which staff were verbally abused by groups of young people, some of whom rode their bikes inside the building tipping over tables as they went. A second incident happened the following day in which some youngsters verbally abused the staff in the library and refused to leave. At the same library earlier this month, a 13-year-old was arrested by police after being found in possession of cannabis and a 14-year-old had their e-scooter seized. Suffolk Library's Deputy Chief Executive, Crystal Vittles, praised Suffolk Police for their support of the library staff. By working together, we hope we can make people think twice about this kind of behaviour so we can stamp it out, she said. Our regular customers have also been very supportive, which is appreciated by our staff. Ms Vittles highlighted that it's important to stress that a small minority are responsible for these incidents. Libraries are open and welcoming community spaces, which are used by thousands of people across Suffolk, she added. We do sadly experience antisocial behaviour incidents from time to time, although it's only usually an issue in a minority of libraries. It can be quite unpleasant for staff and customers to experience, so we take antisocial behaviour very seriously and encourage staff to report all incidents. We report serious incidents to the police and will ban individuals if necessary as the safety and well-being of our staff and customers 
is always our priority. And that's a very nice story, as I taught Crystal Vittles when she was five years old. Cathedral visitors are being offered the chance to discover a historic library founded in 1595 of more than 550 books. St Edmundsbury Cathedral is opening the doors to its ancient library and the Norman Tower to celebrate Heritage Open Days from Friday, September the 8th. The free 30-minute library tours will see visitors explore the extensive book collection of works mainly printed in the 16th and 17th centuries and founded by Dr Miles Moss as a resource for clergy training. The Norman Tower bell ringers will be showing visitors around the rarely viewed bell tower on Saturday, September the 9th, to learn more about the art of bell ringing and a brief history of the former main gateway to the Abbey. And now for some letters. Richard Cunahan of Queen's Road, Bury St Edmunds writes, In a speech on the climate crisis, the UN Secretary-General said, The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, and no more waiting for others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Meanwhile, our Prime Minister frets that he doesn't want to cause any hassle and that he couldn't possibly suggest that people might consider scaling back their holiday plans. The Times demand leadership of the calibre envisioned by Antonio Guterres and we have Mr Sunak. This thought should be uppermost in the minds of the electorate as we approach what may be the defining election of this century. Tom Murray from Berry St Edmunds writes, What two fabulous careers we've had. Several major items caught my attention in August the 4th edition. First, congratulations to photographer Andy Abbott for his 50 years in photography. I too started in local newspapers, just like Andy. My start was at the Halstead Gazette, 60 years later. I'm writing my autobiography, like Andy. I'm remembering fabulous events, royalty, the Beatles, Africa, USA, film and TV assignments. I'm sure that Andy will agree with me that we've had unique, fabulous, fascinating careers, as well as seen some extremely exciting events. The front page piece about the empty post office shops showed scant regard for current reality, asking 50 and £60,000 or these rather small shops, it's really far too high. No mention of the rates, probably running into thousands a year. That's without current energy costs of some hundreds or even thousands a month, fitting out costs for these raw spaces, with current business being so slow. Once you add in staff, plus decide on what to sell and offer, it seems to be a lack of positive marketing, with so many other empty units around our town. As a former member of the Town Council Planning Committee, I was pleased to see the new animal feed mill plants going ahead. It's an existing company employing 60 people, all within one of the industrial sites. The new facility will bring in another 70 jobs, local jobs, local taxes for our local community. Lastly, so many complaints about the grass and weeds growing through the pavements on our estates. Three years ago, the path stopped being sprayed with toxic pesticides or weed spray. As a town councillor at the time, I was told they, the council, were looking into a new non-toxic spray for the next seasons. 
It's obvious that we are still waiting. The weeds and grass clumps are a danger to young and old, especially at night in our dark and poorly lit areas. I'm aware that St Olaf's councillor Frank Stennett is on this problem and wish him good luck. Welcome to Chatterbox, a weekly sideways look at what's got you taken to the keyboard on social media this week. Readers quickly got online to comment after the news that customers at a Berries Nevins gym have been left gobsmacked after being told it would shut on Tuesday. Sports Direct Fitness Berries Nevins informed gym goers on the day that it would be closing. The move comes months after plans to change the gym in Eastleigh Road on the Morton Hall estate to a retail facility were refused. Ian Cooper seemed shocked about the news, but not surprised. He said, typical private sector. Cannot get change of use to much more profitable retail, so close down. No compassion, just profits. Esther Jacobs said, the most affordable gym in town, the staff and the classes with a swimming pool, so sad, it was so affordable, it will be missed. Kirsten Alice Fulham added, this is absolutely ridiculous. I've never seen such bad service. Sports Direct gyms, you have left many like-minded people and staff absolutely devastated at such short notice. A total disgrace. Michael Guest felt for one of the businesses in the unit in particular. He said, I feel for Brody Nurse Barbering business as he only opened in June. What a shock. Justin Bone had bigger questions on the closure. He said, Unfortunately, we live in an economy where the shareholder rules. More, more, more is the attitude. Growth, growth, growth are the words that are required. But for whom? Who are these shareholders? Certainly not the man in the street. Oh, no. These are for the super rich, the hedge fund managers, the banks, like they're not making enough at the moment. The system is broken and it will only get worse. Profit before people. Al Wilson from Willisham writes, The problem of losing arable land to solar panels has been solved for many years. The answer is agrivoltaics, wherein the panel system is designed around the farm needs rather than replacing the food-growing field with low panels. Despite the higher cost, in certain crops, agrivoltaics can double the yield of the field. Terry Reeve from Bungay writes, what a wonderful event the three-day Bungay Black Shuck Festival was from August the 4th to the 6th. The cabaret at the Fisher Theatre on Friday and the dramatic and atmospheric happenings and music in St Mary's Church on Saturday were excellently produced. Venues were packed out each evening. Indeed, St Mary's Church was probably even fuller than on that dramatic day, August the 4th, 1577, when the fearsome black dog rushed in during a violent thunderstorm and apparently so frightened the congregation that some died on the spot. The whole festival was a credit to Bungay and brought people into the town from a wide area. Another fine example of how Bungay leads the way in doing creative things well for the good of the town and its businesses. I enjoyed it immensely and the festival committee members should be proud of themselves for what they achieved. Don Black from Dis writes, What is the most daring job done day after day? My guess would be that of an active, qualified, working arborist, high above our gardens. He was cutting boughs from a rabinia tree before its trunk could be felled. 
Descended from some sent to Britain in 1636 by early American settlers, ours had to go because decay would otherwise make a damaging fall inevitable. We have thereby lost a beautiful friend, compensated only partly by more sustainable, when there is any, coming from the Suffolk side of the River Waveney. Dr Pat Morell from Berris and Edmonds says, I would like to record a big thank you to all those who supported or were involved with my Step Back in Time lecture series on behalf of St Nicholas Hospice Care. The last talk of Series 3 was yet another sellout, raising £655. Ticket sales, together with additional generous donations, means that the combined total for all three series stands at £9,487. I would also like to thank Paul Romain for suggesting the idea initially. George Chilvers, Community Fundraising Manager for Running With It, and Ron Morell and my neighbour Tessa for their initial assistance ensuring that the event ran smoothly on the night. Clearly, support for St Nicholas Hospice and history is flourishing in Berries and Edmonds, despite these difficult times. I hope those who came along to one or more of my talks went away informed as well as entertained. Based on original, unpublished research undertaken over many years, it was a great pleasure to have the opportunity to share some of my findings with so many people. Thanks again to all. John Wayman from Cavendish writes, The letter from K. Andrews on August the 10th, with his particular comment about the tombstone-like plastic tubes, brought immediately to mind my letter of April 26th. Suffolk County Council had just had many thousands of trees and shrubs planted, including a few hundred yards of new hedges at Cavendish. With no suitable preparation to the field edges, shrubs, mostly whitethorn, were planted with bamboo stakes and plastic guards. Counting them today, I find a failure rate of 91%, with the planting smothered with this year's strong grass growth, tubes missing and bamboo lying all over the ground. It seems pointless to try to be the greenest county at the expense of all the council taxpayers if there's no follow-up. The waste of money incurred by the relevant departments is shameful, and a statement from the county might just start to put matters right. Clifford Davy from Stowmarket writes, It was one of those sunny, breezy days, just the day to get some washing out. So I emptied the linen bin, loaded the washing machine, and off it began. The cycle, on, the cycle finished... Time to unload. Trouble when I brought the items out. A tissue had been left in an item of clothing and left many garments covered in tiny pieces of paper. So, a new spotted look for a while. And now for some more news. A learner driver has been stopped by police for driving unaccompanied on the A14 in Suffolk. The Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and Armed Police Team stopped a vehicle on Thursday afternoon which was driving on the A14 near Kentford in West Suffolk. The driver had failed their driving test in Berries Nedmonds on Thursday morning before removing the old plates from their car and driving off unsupervised. NSRAPT seized the vehicle. A new book offering contrasting views of Berries and Edmonds over the years hits the shops this month. Berry historian Martin Taylor spent a year compiling Berry St Edmunds Through Time, Revisited. He was inspired to write the book after being gifted 2,500 photographic postcards of the town collected by the late owner of Hatter Street's Berry Bookshop. 
he found postcards of some of the town's memorable sites before photographing today's views. Martin said the postcards date from 1895 to about 1930. Some feature the old shops and fashions. One even features the tank which used to stand in the Abbey Gardens. The tank is long gone but the concrete it stood on is still there. Buy the book at Waterstones, the Cathedral Shop, Moises Hall Museum and through the Apex Information Point. A former children's magician who was diagnosed with Attention Deficit Disorder, Dyslexia and Tourette's Syndrome in adulthood has proved anything is possible after writing his first historical fiction book. After three and a half years, Richard Madams of Barnum finished his novel, Surviving the Waves, A Convict's Journey. The book is based on a real person, Daniel Phillips, who was shipped off to Australia in 1864 after setting fire to a barley stack. Richard, who writes under the name R.I. Madams, said penning this book was a major life achievement as writing hadn't always come naturally. When I was at school, I was bottom of the class. There was no help, he said. I knew I'd got it in me to be able to write this book, but practically I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to do it. I found writing very difficult, but I'm really pleased with the results, and the feedback I'm getting from people who have bought the book has been absolutely amazing. It's the first thing in my life I can say I've achieved. Richard, originally from Much Haddam in Hertfordshire, came across the local newspaper report detailing Daniel's crime 18 years ago when he was researching for one of his non-fiction books. The novel draws on experience of other convicts and Im images what Daniel's life in Australia could have been like. Richard, who moved to Barnum six years ago after marrying wife Yvonne, hopes to write a book set in Suffolk. He is also thinking about continuing Daniel's story and writing a second book. Richard will be at the Forward Festival in Bryce Nedmonds, which runs from October the 7th to the October the 8th. The show was able to go on at Bryce Nedmonds Theatre Royal on Friday, following an 11th hour fire safety related closure on Thursday. The historic Westgate Street Theatre was forced to close after a fire safety inspection highlighted an issue requiring urgent remedy. The last-minute closure meant Suffolk Young People's Theatre was forced to cancel its performance of Ghost the Musical. However, Essex-based company Pyrodex stepped in to fix the issue on Friday, allowing the rest of the musical's run to continue. Ian Shipley, chair of Suffolk Young People's Theatre trustees, said, Being told less than an hour before our second performance that it had to be cancelled following a fire inspection was heartbreaking. Fortunately, Due to Owen Calvert-Lyons, Theatre Royal Artistic Director, and his team's incredible efforts, followed by a further fire inspection at 3.25pm on Friday, we were told the show could go on. Great news, but not a 21 hours we would ever like to go through again. A statement from the Theatre Royal thanked Pyrodeck Limited for completing the urgent work. Judges from Britain in Bloom took a tour of Brandon last week as the town is in the finals of the national competition. Accompanied by Brandon in Bloom members on August the 2nd, Dale Hector from Jersey and Brendan Moforce from Yorkshire were given a tour including Brandon Country Park, a garden dedicated to the coronation of King Charles III and Showpiece floral display, 
The Wedge. Rachel Sobikowski, head of horticulture for Brandon in Bloom, said, It has been a community effort, and I would really like to thank everyone for pulling together to ensure Brandon looked clean and beautiful on the day. Britain in Bloom results were revealed on October 23rd. Former Hazelwood Dance Studios at 110 Northgate Street could be turned into two one-bedroom and two two-bedroom apartments. The Grade 2 listed building was previously a house, school and college before becoming business units, offices, apartments and finally a dance school. Due to retirement, the dance school was sold and relocated to Hollow Road in part of the former Marlowe's site. The site includes a small area of hard paving which would become the private entranceway and a small courtyard garden for the proposed apartments. There would also be one car park for each flat. The plans also include a new sitting room on the roof and a roof garden. The layout of the site would remain unchanged with building and parking in their current position. There are no objections to the application in terms of the impact on the conservation area. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Jill, Nick, Liz, Harvey and Peter, it's goodbye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Thank you.